0: President and CEO of the Murthy Law Firm. Here's wishing you and yours a very, very happy 2021. Hopefully with everything in the air, with the vaccinations around the corner, spring around the corner, 2021 will be a wonderful year for you all. And we hope that today's teleconference discussion will also be like a good starting New Year's gift for each of you, because we have a transition to the new Biden administration that should get started on January 20th of 2021. And uh, I'm joining me in today's teleconference, I have two of my esteemed colleagues at the Murti Law Firm, Joel Janovich, who's a member and who's been with the firm for maybe a decade or, or so. And we have Ali, uh, Alison Terry, who's also been with the firm for several years, a brilliant young lawyer, smart, bright, energetic, and talented, And you will see that when we're having our lively discussion amongst us on where we expect the Biden administration to go in terms of changes that are expected in U.S. immigration law and policies. So just by very briefly, uh, by way of background, most of you are obviously aware that it has been exceptionally challenging for those in the world of immigration over the past four years since January 2017 during the Trump administration. Um there's been a lot of uncertainty and delays, whether it is H one B petitions, RFEs and denials, um, whether it is other immigration benefits, delays in whether it's H four benefits, new requirements for biometrics, you name it, every possible opportunity to put roadblocks both in family based immigration and employment based immigration. The good news, as I said, is irrespective of your political party and affiliation is the fact that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have made it very clear that they will roll back many of these anti-immigration, anti-business, anti-family policies to bring back stability and sanity and recognize and embrace the fact that America is a nation of immigrants. Um, He has... Biden has actually stated even before he got elected and he has again repeated this this in different, uh, different, uh, in different venues that he would take urgent action to undo Trump's damage and reclaim America's values, modernize America's immigration system, welcome immigrants in our communities and reassert America's commitment to asylum seekers and refugees. Uh, etc. So he's been very forth, forthright about that. He has often talked about taking back the soul of the nation. So with that, I'm going to invite Joel to discuss, uh, you know, talking about what exactly you think Biden might plan to do in the first 100 days, what he's talked about and where we need to go from here. Joel?
1: Hi um so one of the things that that uh, president elect biden has committed to doing within the first 100 days and and uh, immediately upon taking office he actually said was to reverse the trump administration's policies that separate parents from their children at the border um, including ending the prosecution of parents for minor inter- immigration violations as an intimidation tactic and to prioritize the reunification of any children still separated from their families. Uh, this, I, I'm sure you've all heard about this on the news, this was a hot issue um, during the Trump administration. It was a hot issue on the campaign trail. Uh, the, the Trump administration took a lot of heat on this policy. They, they actually tried to blame the Obama, Obama administration, and, and which included, of course, Biden, for implementing it, which is pretty misleading. That's not really what happened. Um, and uh, as of October, there, are still, there were still more than 500 children who were had been separated at the border and that they have not been able to uh, locate the parents. So this has been a big issue. Biden said he was going to prioritize this. And, um, there were some other things that were related to this, such as the, um, remain in Mexico policy during asylum applications, uh, which was very controversial. Trump, uh, Biden initially said he was going to reverse it on day one. And now he said, it's going to take a number of months to, to build up the infrastructures to do that. But we believe that will be coming in the not too distant future. Um, Ali, do you want to maybe talk a little bit about, um, the, the public charge rule
2: Sure, Joel, thanks. Um, Yeah, so one thing we're expecting to see is that the the new administration will reverse the public charge rule that's been put in place by the Trump administration. Um, This rule has been particularly onerous for people applying for their green cards. Um, We saw it a lot, actually, in that kind of October rush where a lot of people became current and were able to file, but were down to the wire trying to get this stuff together because the rule basically results in foreign nationals having to provide literal thousands of pages of documentation, proof of financials for years and years. So it, it placed a really heavy burden on them and made it really difficult to apply. So we're, you know, we're hoping to see this reverse. I think it's probably likely it will be. It's already been subject to a ton of litigation. It's kind of gone back and forth as to does it apply today? Yes. Will it apply tomorrow? Who knows? Um, so hopefully it will be gone for good. We're expecting that to happen, but, uh, you know, it's going to uh, take, may possibly take a little bit of time to kind of nail it down and hammer it out and get rid of it. Um, I think Sheila wanted to talk about DACA, correct?
0: Yes. So just to be sure, the, the whole public charge rule is not only for employment-based immigrants, but also family-based immigrants. It applies to every single person who's coming into the United States for a permanent for the green card on the green card um, as permanent resident, It technically also applies a version of it, even if you want to come in on an H1B or H4 or F1 or B1B2 as a non-immigrant. The Immigration Nationality Act talks about, you know, preventing a person from becoming a public charge, which the consular officers do use from time to time, but it was really, really made far more onerous and burdensome as Ali just mentioned um, during the Trump administration. So jumping on to DACA issues, for those who don't remember what DACA is, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, which some people use the word dreamers as the alternate term. But for those of us who may remember, um, Barack Obama, President Barack Obama actually introduced it and created the DACA program back in June 2012, actually in the middle of the ALA National Conference, when, uh, with thousands of attorneys, I believe it was in uh, San Francisco or whatever, we were so excited. I remember thinking that these young children who came in um, uh, and now uh, have an opportunity to study in school, join universities, can enlist in the military, get a work permit to stay and work, not legally because you didn't get full legal status, but you got this sort of quasi-status where you could enroll, and get some benefits and continue to get an employment authorization document of some sort. Um, several courts, several states have challenged uh, DACA and DAPA and different versions of it, about 26 states. It's been going in circles similar to the public charge rule. And uh, in fact, the latest uh, as of maybe a couple of weeks ago, end of December, late December was that the court said that the, Trump administration really could not just simply eliminate something that was, even though it was set up by executive uh, and executive order in the Obama Biden administration, it couldn't just be pulled by the Trump administration because rights had been vested in many of these DACA applicants. Um, because Trump obviously has tried and terminated DACA multiple times, but now the latest is that it should be reinstated, and Biden also has confirmed that he plans to reinstate the program because it's really very beneficial in terms of providing opportunities to people who have no other country that they can call their home other than the United States of America, because they've practically grown up here and graduated from uh, American high schools, et cetera. Um, So Joel, I'm going to ask you, because this is a big topic, a big issue for most of the employers in today's call, of course, is the ability for, H4 EADs, the de- sort of ridiculous delays of close to a year in some cases, what's going on with that whole area? Um,
1: yeah, so this is actually really exciting, is the, the possibility of getting um, premium processing for H4 applications and for EAD applications. Um, so under the Trump administration, they have implemented a biometrics requirement for um, a lot of different application types, including the I-539, um, which is used for H-4 change of status and H-4 extensions. And this has at least uh, pr- presumably played a major role in why these uh, H-4 applications are taking much, much longer than before. Um, Before the pandemic, people could travel on H-4, the the dependent could travel on H-4, re-enter, and they would enter in H-4 status, um, typically through the expiration date of the principal spouses. Um, During the pandemic, that has not really been a a viable option for most people. Um, And on top of that, you have the delays in the EAD processing, which uh, at one point we were seeing them two to three months, and now it's taking – it can easily take five, six-plus months to get them processed. Um, when Congress passed a spending bill in October, they gave the USCIS the ability um, to start implementing premium processing to additional categories, which included H-4s and EADs. And so it's not been done yet. And as far as we are aware, the rulemaking process has not even started. So if, if you know Biden takes office, if he wants to implement it, he likely will have to go through the formal rulemaking process, which can take some time. Um but at least we kind of have that in the horizon as a possibility and it's possible it could potentially go through a more abbreviated rulemaking process because we're just adding a, a uh, adding a um additional category to a process that already exists, the expedited processing. But we'll, we'll have to so, John, see on that so front. you
0: think So, Joel, you don't think they could just use something like the I-907 if the employer is doing it for the principal applicant to add the H-4 and H-4 EAD dependence on a separate I-907 for that and just make it without going through the rulemaking process?
1: I suspect that they are going to go through the rulemaking process based on on how the the statute was written. It's, It's possible that they could say, no, it's not required because it's not a major change. It's hard to say, but um let's assume that it does it still potentially could get again be a relatively abbreviated version of that um if this goes through this will be a this will be a game changer I think for a lot of people we We get calls all the time for people that are are going to lose work authorization, maybe even lose their job because the employer can't wait for for three, four or five months. for them to be, you know, out of work during that time. They need someone to fill that position. Um, It could also be used for other categories.
0: Right, and it's not even three, four months. My understanding is a lot of these are taking eight months to 12 months because the biometrics itself are taking four, five, six months in some cases, and then after that, another three or four months. So in some cases, it's taking up to 13 months, eight months to 13 months for some of the EADs, which... You know, before they could, they would do. They had done premium processing for the principal on H-1. They pre-Trump, it was very common for the USCIS because it takes more effort and energy to separate it out and do it separately to approve the H-4 and the H-4EAD separately rather than doing it all together, which would be far more effective and efficient. Um, but alas, that's not the case. Thank you, Joel. So, what about this whole thing about the um, refugee and travel bans? um alley but started off in the beginning of the trump administration four years ago it's gone through various iterations where are we and where do you think biden wants to go with that whole policy
2: yeah so this is actually one of trump's earliest acts in office um act in general and certainly one of the earliest like anti-immigration acts that he took um It was a big deal on the news. It was kind of out there. It's kind of gone to the wayside a little bit. I think we tend to get overwhelmed by all the other stuff going on, but it's still out there. Um, We're expecting that the Biden administration will rescind the so-called Muslim bans. Um, He has said that, quote, prohibiting Muslims from entering the country is morally wrong, and there is no intelligence or evidence that suggests it makes our nation more secure. So I think just from that, the tone of a quote like that, right, gives a really good idea of kind of the the stance that he is taking on it, and on, I think, pretty much all of this kind of anti-immigrant uh, rhetoric that's going on during Trump's administration.
0: Correct, correct. And again, for those who are listening who are thinking that, you know, oh, my God, we're, we're giving an, a uh, sort of a skewed or we're sort of doing an attack on the Trump administration. Just to be clear, we're just actually stating facts in terms of, what exactly happened in the world of immigration with the multiple beds or you know h4ead delays in the processing the imp- implementation of biometrics etc um so it's not we're just glad that we're coming back to where we see uh, where the u.s constitution should lead us and where the fact that we are a nation of immigrants should bring us back to um where we need to go and similarly Biden has also talked about restoring uh, sensible enforcement priorities uh, because Biden has made it clear that he will direct enforcement efforts towards threats to public safety and national security while ensuring that individuals are treated with the due process to which they're entitled so that their human rights are also protected uh Biden has pretty much made it clear that they would like to end or cut back dramatically on workplace raids to ensure that threats based on the worker's status will not interfere with their ability to organize to improve their wages and working conditions. Uh, he's also uh, promised to protect sensitive locations from immigrant immigration enforcement uh, actions for example, he has said that no one should be afraid to go to a hospital or medical clinic for medical treatment, to go to a school to study, to go to their workplace to feed their family, to go to court to you know to fight for their legal rights or to defend themselves, or attend places of worship, whether it's a church or a temple, etc., for fear of an immigration enforcement action. So I think all of these are good things. Um, what about the issue about restoring and defending the naturalization process for green card holders as well as providing some type of status or green card citizenship or whatever for undocumented immigrants? Um,
1: well, yeah, I, I think um, the, one of what Biden has indicated is that he's going to be taking steps to streamline the process for naturalization. Um, under the Trump administration, the processing times for n four hundred applications for naturalization have almost doubled, and so uh, we 've seen some other specific um, processes put put in there that may be part of the problem it 's hard to say exactly why why they 're taking so long but um, uh, president elect Biden has said that he was going to address that and look for ways to to make that process more streamlined.
0: Uh- Right, and just by way of reminder for most of the employers who may not be familiar, the number of questions that uh, people are going to be asked has increased quite a lot. The number of questions they have to study to prepare, which which they have now doubled. 20 questions, you have to get 12 out of 20, I believe. And the, the, the number of questions overall from 100, I think, have increased to like, what, 125 or something. So all those are adding more, like... One, The goal is to help people to truly understand their constitution and what it takes as people going through the naturalization process. But um, thank you, Joel. What about the whole issue about providing some type of status to undocumented immigrants? Where do we, where where's all that? And in terms of um, you know visas being offered for permanent work-based immigration systems, we've talked about some of that as well, Ali.
2: Sure. So in terms of, you know, helping out undocumented immigrants, you know, you're looking at about 11 million people or so. Uh, we expect that Biden will likely work with Congress to try and kind of update the immigration system uh, to create a kind of roadmap to citizenship for these people. Uh, however, this is going to require legislative action. So it's a little bit unclear if he's going to 100% be able to accomplish it just because, you know, immigration law has been – kind of where it's at pretty much stayed largely the same as, as far as the statute is concerned for a very long time. That's because it takes a lot of work to change it. Um, so it's a little bit uncertain whether this action is actually going to be able to be taken, but it's certainly something that we, we expect Biden to get started on and work on during his time in office. Um, in terms of, you know, non-immigrant visas or, in, uh, you know, permanent residence, things like that, We expect that there will be an increase in the number of visas offered to permanent work-based immigration. Uh, Currently, this number is capped at about 140,000 a year. Uh, This doesn't allow for changes based on the labor market or demands from domestic employers. So as president, we're expecting that Biden will likely work to increase Uh, the number of visas awarded to permanent employment-based immigration and promote promote mechanisms to temporarily reduce the number of visas during times of high U.S. unemployment. So decreasing that number, if U.S. unemployment goes up, the number of available visas would go down. Um, We also expect that he'll exempt from the cap, uh, the H-1B cap, recent graduates of PhD programs in STEM fields Uh, who are likely to make important contributions to the world economy, to U.S. economy, things of that nature. Um, Biden has stated that he believes that foreign graduates of U.S. doctoral programs should be given a green card with their degree because losing these people, these highly trained people with this uh, high level of skill and knowledge, losing them to foreign economies is is really a disservice to our country and to our own economic competitiveness.
0: Thank you, Allie. And I guess, the idea of opening our arms and encouraging U.S. doctoral program candidates to getting a fast track or faster green card, um, that's what I think the EB1 was initially sort of created with some of that in mind, but then it became so onerous with the extraordinary ability, outstanding uh, professor, researcher, etc., that it's literally reserved for like the Nobel Prize laureates or people with you know national, major national and international awards. So it's nice that we have this. Uh, that, that Biden, the Biden administration is willing to consider a faster track based on high high levels of education, which several people have talked about. Uh, nothing has come out of it, obviously, in the past four years. Similarly, there have been talks about reforming the temporary visa program um, because the Biden administration has expressed their concern that an immigration system that crowds out the high-skilled workers in favor of only entry-level workers and wages would threaten American innovation and competitiveness. So Biden has said that he would like to work with Congress to first reform temporary visas to establish a wage-based allocation process and establish enforcement mechanisms to ensure that they are aligned with the U.S. labor market and they are not being used to undermine wages. So he plans to, Biden plans to support the expansion of the number of high-scale visas and eliminate some of the limits on employment-based visas per country, which has created unacceptably long backlogs, particularly for nationals or citizens of India and to a lesser extent China. So I know there have been talks in Congress. The bill was almost passed. Everybody thought it was going to be done very quickly, but there's been quite a bit of resistance from some organizations and some people because they're very afraid that this per country quota elimination would result in longer lines for the other countries that right now don't have any backlogs, major backlogs. Next, let's go back to you, Joel, to talk about this whole issue that's been talked about over the years about some type of path to legalization for agricultural workers working in farms.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll discuss this briefly. Um, We don't have a lot of details, but Biden does support Uh, compromise legislation between farm workers and the agricultural sector that would provide legal status based on prior agricultural work history and a faster track to a green card and ultimately citizenship. Um, We don't have a lot in the way of specifics, but we do have a a large number of agricultural workers, temporary workers that come to the U.S. and work in in certain states, especially where um, in, in the agricultural field where they cannot find U.S. workers to perform the jobs. So um, he, he's looking for, to, to work with Congress on that. Um, he also, I think, very importantly, has rejected the kind of false dichotomy between – the false choice between employment-based and family-based immigration. He doesn't see them as being in competition with one another. Um, he has said that he supports family-based immigration. Um, he wants to preserve family unification, which has always been a – or at least for a long time – has been a foundation of U.S. immigration policy. Um, and he also wants to, he's indicated he wants to allow any approved applicant to receive a temporary non-immigrant visa until the uh, permanent immigrant visa is processed. He also, and I think this is really important, he supports legislation that treats the spouse and children of green card holders as immediate relatives that are exempt from the cab, um, which would allow them to bring their minor children with them um, at the time that they immigrate. So um, the, these are some of the kind of the broad policies he's been looking with. Again, these all involve things that he wants to do with Congress. So uh, we're going to have to see what happens with all, with all of that, um, as opposed to some of the executive order stuff, which he could do much more quickly. Um, Ali, Thank you, Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, so, so good. So I think that's, that gives you a sort of a quick, broad overview. But I know Al, there's a very interesting uh, topics sort of that we haven't, you know, regarding allowing local communities, cities and counties to be able to actually petition for higher levels of immigrants to support the growth of a local region, which has pretty much never been because it's always because immigration has always been a federal issue under the doctrine of preemption. This is a really interesting concept of trying to encourage economic growth. Ali, do you want to discuss it a little bit?
2: Sure. So, You know, there's a real imbalance in our economy between, you know, there's this disparity in economic growth between U.S. cities and between rural communities and urban areas, right? So to address this, what we're looking at, some cities and rural communities struggle with shrinking populations, um, you know, erosion of economic opportunity, and local businesses that face unique challenges, so others simply struggle to attract productive workforce and innovative entrepreneurs. So to combat this to kind of try and create more of a balance, uh, as president we expect Biden will support a program that will allow any county or municipal executive of a larger, large or mid-sized county or city to petition for additional immigrant visas to support the region's economic development strategy And, you know, we kind of couched in these employers have to certify that there are available jobs and there are no workers to fill them, right? So they have to prove there's no willing, available, ready U.S. workers to do these jobs. Um, Holders of these visas would be required to work and reside in the senior county that petitioned for them, and they would be subject to the same certification protections as other employment-based immigrants.
0: Interesting, yeah, this is definitely a very unique and interesting concept. So I know we're always trying to be mindful in terms of trying to make these sessions between 30 and 45 minutes in the middle of the during the first Wednesday of each month. Um, but you know, I think what between amongst and between Joel, Janovic, Alison, and Terry, and myself, Sheila Murthy, I think we've been trying to sort of go over the big items that where where the Biden administration has actually articulated their policies on how they plan to address certain issues. It gives us a flair of what to expect, um, hopefully, over the next four years. Clearly, we've seen that the last four years have created a great deal of uncertainty and stress on many of you as H-1B employers, as employers processing the green card for your valued employees, especially high-tech, high-skilled workers. Um, so we know that Biden wants to be more centrist. He wants to appease to those who did not vote for him as much as those who voted for him. He he has made it clear that he doesn't want to have sweeping changes from executive orders. He wants to have a more balanced approach to governing. So I don't know how long some of these uh, changes that have been put into place will take. There's been discussion that it could take months, if not years for some of these changes made in the last four years of the Trump administration to get completely reversed or to slow them down dramatically. Uh, But I think for all of us, uh, the very fact that we have a new administration that is more open to embracing the concept of America being a nation of immigrants, that we have our strength lies in our diversity, and in the fact that we have brought the best and brightest minds from across the globe to our shores, is a testament to where we can see where the Biden-Harris administration is likely to go. And uh, hopefully you got a flavor today from our discussion, and we certainly hope that we will be able to share more details with you and even more good news that we all see happening, whether it is with H-1B approvals, extensions, new approvals, rather than the onerous roadblocks that have been placed with H1L1 approvals, with green card approvals, with delays, with H4EADs, all of these we are hoping will turn around, will become more um, manageable and palatable so that each of you can continue to run your businesses in a sensible and profitable way and focus on what you do best, whether it's providing technology or other services uh, for the 21st century, for America to maintain its global leadership in different areas. So on behalf of myself, Sheila Murthy, on behalf of Joel Janovich, Alice and Terry, and the entire Murthy Law Firm team, we want to thank you for joining us today. We want to wish you, your loved ones, your families a very happy 2021. And we certainly look forward to good news on all fronts with the COVID-19 vaccines, with spring round the corner, and just as important with immigration-related issues. Take care, everybody. Have a wonderful afternoon. Stay safe and Happy New Year. This is a free service. The content is the protected, copyrighted property of the Murthy Law Firm. Unauthorized recording or dissemination of these materials without prior permission is prohibited by law. Learn about our firm. How to engage our services and more at www.murthy.com.